Well, some things you want to listen to and some things you don't. Now, I loved the uh, news story this week about the extraordinary sentence passed in Fort Lupton, Colorado by Judge Paul Sacco. I don't know whether you caught that. Uh, the case was the successful prosecution against a number of individuals guilty of noise violation. That is, that they were guilty of playing their rap music too loudly. And their punishment, well, it was a wonderfully imaginative example of a punishment fitting a crime. George Sacco sentenced those guilty of noise violation to sit through a solid hour of Barry Manilow, Barney the Dinosaur, Dolly Parton and Karen Carpenter songs played at high volume. And they weren't allowed to sleep, eat or chew gum, they just had to sit and listen. Some things you want to listen to and some things you don't. Of course, wandering around supermarkets and the likes of Meadow Hall, most of us are forced to listen to such, so much sort of bland background music that we barely notice it. You wouldn't choose to listen to it. And whilst you hear it, you pay very little attention to it. Of course, the danger is, in so doing, you might miss the performance of a genius. Earlier this year, Washington Post carried out an experiment. They asked one of the world's leading violin virtuosos to play in a Washington subway during the rush hour. So on January the 12th this year, Joshua Bell, dressed in jeans and a casual T-shirt, lifted his priceless Stradivari violin and began to play what he himself described as one of the greatest pieces of music ever written, Chacon by Bach. And in the 45 minutes that this internationally acclaimed musician played, over a thousand people passed by. And only seven stopped briefly to take in the performance. See, people heard, but they didn't really listen. And so they missed the performance of a lifetime the work of a musical genius. All of which has exactly what to do with harvest? Well, more than you might imagine. I often think that harvest is part of what you might call the mood music of the seasons. Now, of course, in the mood music charts, it's Christmas that holds the number one spot. After all, who can resist a good carol? Easter's just there as a poor second... And clinging on in a miserable third position, of course, is harvest. It is hard to feel thankful to God for harvest when Tesco seems to have muscled in on his monopoly. Harvest feels like the ultimate in seasonal lift music. You're vaguely aware of it, but you don't really listen. And then you read Mark 4 and the words of an unsettling genius. The words of the most extraordinarily gifted preacher. The words of Jesus who warns us that there is more to harvest than nostalgic childhood memories of fruit-laden hay bays in a dusty church hall. You see, you can hear, but not listen. And in doing so, miss the warnings and promises of God's eternal King. 
Now that Jesus came above all to preach is something that he makes clear right at the outset of his public ministry. Now, of course, it wasn't really what people in the first century wanted any more than it is what people in the 21st century want. Now, we don't want preachers telling us what to do. Uh, We want the likes of Paul McKenna telling us how to become rich. I don't know if you saw that free CD in last Saturday's Times. Paul McKenna, How to Be Rich. The interesting thing about the CD is it says you shouldn't play it whilst driving a car or operating machinery. quite sure how the two things go together. But we don't want a preacher telling us what to do. We want the likes of a sort of guru to give us some comforting advice. So although Jesus' healing ministry was pulling an increasingly growing crowd, Jesus insists that he needs to move on to other places. Just turn back, if you would, to Mark chapter 1 and verse 38. Jesus is drawing a great crowd through his healing ministry. But in verse 38 of Mark, he says this, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. Why? Well, Jesus says, because that is why I have come. You read on in Mark, and Jesus is still drawing large crowds. So, chapter 4 and verse 1, we read this. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And yet although Jesus is still drawing a large crowd, there's something curious, even troubling in people's response. Jesus' words seem to divide people. And astonishingly, whilst some people are drawn in, and intrigued and captivated by Jesus' words. The reaction of the majority is quite different. Cast your eye over the page to verse 6 of chapter 3. See, the religious establishment want to do what? They want to kill him. His family, verse 21, well, they think he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law, verse 22... Well, they think he's possessed by the devil. And so Jesus tells a harvest parable, and the key point comes in verse 3 of chapter 4. Listen. See, the parable is simple enough, isn't it? You know, a farmer sows seed. And as you might imagine, seed sown liberally falls on path, on rocks, amongst thorns, and on good soil. Seed sown on the path is snatched. Seed sown on the rocks has shallow roots. Seed sown amongst thorns is suffocated. Only seed sown in good soil produces a harvest. Indeed, quite an astonishing harvest, verse 8. A crop multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. And again, we need to ask the question, well, so what? What, if anything, does a 2,000-year-old parable about harvest have to do with me? Actually, before you answer that question, you actually have to ask another question. And the question is, why is it that Jesus taught in parables? Why did Jesus teach so often in parables? 
You see, the common assumption is that Jesus taught in parables because these short stories help people to understand. They are, if you like, simple pictures for simple people. And yet if you actually read Mark 4, you actually read Mark 4, that doesn't seem to fit with Jesus' own explanation of why he taught in parables. See, whether you're reading Mark 4 for the first time or the thousandth time this morning, the parable that Jesus tells in verse 3 to 9, it doesn't really seem simple in some senses, does it? It, it, It's more intriguing. See, Jesus begins verse 3 with a command. Listen. And he ends with the most curious of phrases in verse 9. He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. Do you not think how strange? He who has ears? Like everyone has ears. It's not like an optional part of your body, is it? He who has ears? Maybe we don't all hear then. What a curious way to end a parable. See, Jesus, the one who came above all to preach, Jesus says, Listen. And forced to read, really read this intriguing harvest parable, all sorts of questions start to crowd into your mind, don't they? Is it possible to hear Jesus and not really listen to him? Is it possible that his teaching becomes little more than spiritual mood music? So we come to a harvest service and hear a bit of sacred music, but miss the warnings and promises of God's eternal ruling king. Is that possible? See, once you start asking that kind of question, then other questions start to follow. What what does it actually mean to listen to Jesus? How is it possible to listen to Jesus? And what's it all got to do with the theme of harvest? See, the bottom line is, is this harvest parable that Jesus tells, is it clear or confusing? See, Jesus seems to assume that it's clear, crystal clear. Jesus assumes that it is both possible and important to understand this harvest parable, verse 13. Don't you understand this parable? See, Jesus assumes it's clear, it's understandable. Don't you understand this parable? But not only is it clear, it is so important. For he says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? You see, whatever else this parable is about, it's actually a parable about parables. It's a parable about the whole of Jesus' preaching ministry. It's a parable, as we shall see, about the word of God and why people respond to it in the way that they do. And if all those questions leave you somewhat bewildered and confused, well, you're in very good company, verse 10. When Jesus was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. Now, we're going to come back in a few minutes to to verses 11 to 12 for those of you who think that I'm dodging that. But for now, 
just cast your eye down to Jesus' explanation. The disciples ask the question, what is this all about? And Jesus explains, verse 14. The farmer sows the word, just as Jesus has been preaching and placing a priority in preaching right from the outset of his ministry. And there are, it seems, four typical responses to what Jesus says. Now, the really interesting thing to note in all the responses is that everybody hears the word. Everybody hears the word, even though the response is different. So Jesus draws a parallel amongst his listeners with the seed that falls on the path, in the rocks, and amongst the thorns. And whatever the difference in people's response, they all hear the word. So, the end of verse 15. As soon as they hear it, they hear the word. Verse 16. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word. Verse 18. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word. So you see, it seems that people can hear Jesus' teaching but not really listen to Jesus' teaching. Why? Why is that case? Why is it the case that you can hear Jesus' teaching but not really listen? Well, again, Jesus explains. And his explanation is it's because the word is either snatched or superficial, or suffocated. So you come to church on a harvest Sunday, or or any Sunday for that matter, and you hear the challenging words of Jesus in the Bible, and the supernatural battle that wages within your soul means that the word is snatched and forgotten almost as soon as you've left the building. It's lost in the noise of the world's activity and spiritual denial. So what you hear about Jesus intrigues you and draws you in and troubles you and captivates you. But tomorrow, tomorrow in the tyranny of the urgent and the trivial, It's forgotten. You have to get the car fixed. You have to sort out your pension. You have to visit the doctor. You have to arrange lifts for the kids. You have to check your email and watch the television. And before you know it, that word that intrigued you and captivated you and troubled you and challenged you, that word is gone. Snatched. Lost in the busyness and triviality of the week. Snatched from a heart that was moved on Sunday, full of good intention, but produces nothing. How can you hear and not really listen when the word is snatched away? But then for others, Jesus says, the word is not so much snatched as superficially responded to. So, like verse 16, seed sown on rocky places. 
You hear the word and even receive it at once with joy. But the roots of acceptance don't go down deep. And with the trouble and opposition of the world, listening to Jesus becomes little more than a slightly embarrassing religious phase that you once went through. Happened with a friend of mine at school called Graham. We both used to sit next to each other in in physics, both of us lost in a sea of mathematical proofs. And he received Jesus' words with joy. But with the pressure of A-levels and the scorn of his peers, he quickly fell away. So you can hear but not really listen to Jesus. And again, for others, Jesus says, his words are not snatched or superficially received. They are rather suffocated, verse 19. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word. It is strange, isn't it, that no matter how young or old we are, there always seems to be something more attractive, something more important than taking Jesus' words seriously. It doesn't matter how old you are. There's always something, isn't there? Something that persuades you that really taking Jesus' words seriously is not what it's about. Yeah, for teenagers, perhaps it's the boy or girl thing, the longing for the relationship. Now, for students, if you are back here for the beginning of your academic career, it's perhaps for some people the kind of James Dean philosophy of life. Dream as if you'll live forever. Live as if you'll die today. For parents, it's the giving my kids the best start in life sort of thing. Or for homeowners, you know, the property ladder and the holy grail of home improvement. And for the retired? Well, now at last there's a bit of time for me and what I want to do. There's always something more important than taking Jesus' words seriously. In Steve Turner's poem, The Fact, he reflects on the inescapable questions of our mortality. In the end is the beginning And in the beginning was the end. In between are houses, holidays, wars, wives, diversions. In the end, it is like it has always been. Yet activity obscured the fact. See, the word snatched superficial or suffocated, produces in the end nothing that will last. Nothing. Strange to think that the end of our lives might be like a harvest festival with no display of produce. It would be extraordinary, wouldn't it, to come to a harvest festival and not even to see a single marrow, never mind a tin of baked beans from Tesco's. Yet Jesus seems to say in this parable that it's possible to come to the end of your life And that's it. Nothing. 
It is sobering to think that you can hear but not really listen to Jesus, isn't it? It's troubling to think that even this morning, as we read Mark 4, troubling to think that we might hear a bit of religious mood music but miss the warnings and encouragement of God's eternal king. So what makes the difference? What makes the difference? What turns hearing into listening? What produces a harvest of spiritual life that lasts forever? Well, the seed sown on the good soil is what, verse 20? It is those who hear the word and accept it. See, that's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to hear what Jesus says and to acknowledge that what he says is true and trustworthy and must be accepted. It is so easy to pay lip service to the truth of Jesus' teaching. It's like apple pie and motherhood. Who's going to question that Jesus' teaching is a good thing? But it's much more difficult to accept that it is a good thing for me, in my life, in my situation, that I need, as Jesus puts it at the beginning of the Gospel, to repent and believe the good news that he brings and to go on repenting and believing the good news he brings. That's much more difficult to accept because there are always other things that seem more important. But the truth is, you can miss the work of a genius on a subway and you can reject the word of God's king in a harvest service. And of course the astonishing thing that Jesus says in this passage is that to hear Jesus' words and not to accept them, to hear Jesus' words and not to accept them leaves you in a worse position than you were before you heard them. See, as we finish, just let's look at at the warning and encouragement in this passage. See, the warning is very sobering. You see, we can find Jesus' teaching curious, intriguing, moving, powerful, challenging, and yet, at the end of the day, still imagine that we can sit in judgment on Jesus' words when the reality is that Jesus' words sit in judgment on us. Now you read through Mark's Gospel and it's clear that there were plenty of people who sat in judgment on Jesus. The religious, the authorities, the man in the street. So today. Some academics pour scorn on Jesus' words. Some religious leaders even happily explain away Jesus' words. And the rest of us? The rest of us are always tempted to pick and choose between Jesus' words like a child captivated in Woolworths before the pick and mix. And yet Jesus says that the word we hear but don't really accept, the word we hear but don't really accept, that very word will judge and actually harden our hearts. See verse 11? 
You stand in judgment on the outside, hearing but not accepting Jesus' words, and his parables will do what exactly? Well, Jesus says they will increasingly harden your heart so that you will not see and you will not understand. End of verse 11. To those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Why? So that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. See, stand on the outside hearing but not really accepting Jesus' words and his parables will do what? They will increasingly harden your heart so that you will not see and you will not understand. Who would have thought that coming to a harvest festival could have been one of the most dangerous things you have ever done in your life? Jesus says, it is eternally dangerous to hear but not accept his words. Which is why he says what he does right at the beginning of this parable, isn't it? Verse 3. Listen. Listen. Now, of course, any of us who have moved from the outside to the inside, any of us who call ourselves Christians who say we have heard and accepted Jesus' words. Don't, don't imagine that yours is the smug boast of self-achievement, as if you're somehow better than anyone else. You see, verse 11, Jesus says that the secret of the kingdom of God is a gift. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. See, Jesus says there is no room to be smug The only response of those who hear and accept Jesus' teaching is to go on hearing and accepting Jesus' teaching. It is to submit. And each time any of us hear Jesus' words, there is still a spiritual battle that rages within our soul. For the word can still be snatched, received superficially and suffocated. And it's only when we hear and accept and go on hearing and accepting Jesus' words. For me in my situation, in my life, now. It is only as we hear and accept Jesus' teaching that we can be sure that there will be anything by way of harvest on the last day. The danger is, I think, always in a place like Fullwood with its great tradition that we want to master the word and not be mastered by the word. Now, there are keen students who have often asked me guidance on the best Bible commentaries to buy and read. There are always home group leaders that set themselves up as Bible experts. And there are Sunday service critics that would quite like to hold up a scorecard at the end of the sermon. How easy... How easy for speaker and listener alike to prize ourselves on our understanding of the word but miss the most important thing which is acceptance of the word. You see, you can miss 
the work of a genius on a subway. And you can reject the word of God's king in a harvest service. And so if this harvest is to be more than seasonal mood music, Jesus says to you and me, listen. Listen. Hear what Jesus says and accept it. And the amazing encouragement is that in hearing and accepting Jesus' words, it will make the most astonishing, the most miraculous difference in our lives. Verse 20. Others like seed sown on good soil. Hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. Well, let's pray, shall we?